This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. All right, guys, today we've got a special return guest to the podcast. His name is John Cooper. So he is the lead vocalist and bassist for the twice Grammy-nominated and 12-time platinum band Skillet. It might even be more than that now, but Skillet is actually one of the best-selling and most streamed rock bands of the 21st century, and a lot of you know him from his podcast, Cooper Stuff Podcast. It's a great podcast. I've mentioned it a lot here on the show. I've appeared on that podcast a couple of times. A lot of you guys that listen to this now you know, found me through that podcast, and he has been on our show way back on episode 187. But the cool thing about this podcast this is actually like a duo like split episode kind of a deal and so essentially what was happening is they're on tour right now with theory of a dead man and they're going all across the united states and they were coming through tulsa and so what we talked about it's like hey let's get together let's hang out but let's record a show and let's just release it on both of our podcasts and so this episode is going to be released on the cooper stuff podcast feed and on undaunted life of man's podcast and so on this particular episode we talk about a lot of different things, okay? So, you know, I talked about something called delayed sanctification. We got into a lot of cultural issues, issues within the church, within, the church, within masculinity. All, all the stuff we had, you know, kicked around as ideas of what we would talk about, what he wanted to talk about, what I want to talk about, we basically didn't do that because we just kind of let it flow where it flowed and, you know, we flowed for a long time and we're, we were both very happy with how it ended up. But it was a really fun time uh, hanging out with the folks from Skillet because I've gotten to know them personally, specifically John, but really the rest of the band gotten to know them personally, been able to hang out with them a few times and whenever I went up there this time you know we just got to like just hang out and kick it for a little bit uh and it was kind of funny too because some of you saw this on Instagram you've been calling me out about it so I need to talk about it so I you know they do like push-ups like Corey the you know that's John's wife and she's the guitarist of the band you know that's one of the things they used to do right before they would go out on stage they would do push-ups and all that and so she and I joked about doing a push-up competition well John Cooper does a little bit of a uh physical warm-up before he goes out there and does his live show and so I was like well, I'm not gonna let you just work out alone in the green room and so he put on like you know t25 or something like that and so we just got after it and then right after we got done Corey walks in and it's like okay let's do this push-up competition and the funny thing about it is she if you don't know her she's fairly petite um and so she's maybe like five one five two something like that and you know her arms are kind of short and I've kind of got like monkey arms for my frame and so when we start doing this little push-up competition I was just going to try to match her and do as many as she did and then then kind of go from there and you know cheer her on but like almost immediately, almost immediately, I was like, oh, crap, like her pushups are really fast because she's got those little arms. And I was like, OK, I'm going to have to go really, really fast to keep up with her because she just shot out of the gate. And so what ended up happening? I'm like looking at my form and I'm like, I'm not finishing my pushups. I'm not going all the way out to extension. And of course, we got the, you know, PT police on Instagram like, oh, none of those cow, <laughs> those types of things. But at the end of the day, you're right. You're absolutely right. I didn't do good push-up reps because I was trying to catch this little gal that was on fire, just absolutely crushing it on the push-up. So that was kind of a fun deal that we got to do. But yeah, I got to hang out with Jen and Seth and, you know, chat with them about the things that they have going on after the show, hung out with them on their tour bus and really just got to talk about, you know, some life issues, some things that are happening in the conservative space, things that are happening in the Christian space. And, you know, that's the thing is when you hang out with people like this, it's always great when they're humble. 
and when they're normal. And that's exactly what these people are because again, they've been a band for like 30 years or something like that. And I think Jen is like the, the member that's been on the band the least amount of time. And I think she's been there like 16 or 17 years or something like that. And so it's just such a cool group of people. They're so unbelievably positive. And I told John this, that I was able to watch their show from the side stage and from backstage. And when you look at the people in the crowd, they're just so happy to be there. And it's not just because, oh, you know, COVID shut down tours and now they're just thankful to even have tours or things like that. They're just thankful that there's something positive happening because if you listen to Skillet's music, the lyrics are very positive. The message is very uplifting. And then John will go out there and share the gospel and share the love of Jesus with people there from the stage, even if it's a mixed crowd. And it's just such a positive environment. And so guys, if you've never listened to Skillet or if you used to listen to him, haven't listened to him in a while, go back and support those people. If they come on tour, they put on a fantastic show. Uh, and if they come on tour, come uh, you know go to their area or if they come to your area, go to make sure you buy tickets to their show support them follow them on instagram it's just an absolutely awesome thing so i'm really really glad to bring this episode to you but i did want to do a couple things right before we get to that i know it's a little bit of a, a long intro but number one i want to just go ahead and thank the donors so one thing that I used to do is anytime that we would get a donation, especially with our monthly donations that we get from people, is I would send an email to these people just thanking them. It's become fairly cumbersome now because we have so many donors, and so I haven't been able to like send those individual emails. But to the donors, especially the monthly donors that listen to this, thank you so so much for being part of what we're doing because I'm not lying to you when I say that the reason we're able to keep the doors open and produce the content that we do is because of donors. We get a little bit of money from advertising. Like I didn't make hardly any money off of those hats because they were so expensive to make those hats that sold out in one day, by the way. So if you didn't get one of the green hats and you want some, just let me know and we can maybe do another run, but just thank you. Thank you so much to the donors and to everybody else. Guys, that is how we're able to equip men around the globe to push back darkness because we have people that are partnering with us. And then one other thing, one little commercial because there's a unique thing and I wasn't going to be able to talk about it, you know, before it happened. So a lot of you guys have responded very, very well to episode 435 of this podcast with Michael Franzese. So he used to be a mob boss and now he's a, uh, you know, Christian and Christian speaker. Well, he's got something that he mentioned at the end of the interview and it's called Mob Ties. And so that's kind of his mastermind, uh, you know, business coaching, leadership coaching thing that he's launching. And they've got a bunch of big names, these big timers that are going to be part of their training this year. Uh, they're they're going to have Jordan Peterson. They're going to have Patrick Bet David. I'm trying to think of the others, Sammy the Bull, Gravano, Zuby, and there's some other some other folks as well that are lined up to be a part of this, which again, it's going to help people that are in business or people that are wanting to level up in the business that, that, that they're doing or entrepreneurs or things like that. That's kind of what this is, and there's going to be a communal aspect to it. But what I wanted to tell you about, because again, I haven't you know spent a lot of time with the content, but they're actually doing a private Zoom training with Michael. Michael was telling me about this on the 23rd of this month. Okay, so the 23rd of March at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, and so in this private Zoom meeting, and there's there's really limited spots and all that. I'm even trying to make sure that I can get in. Uh, they're going to be talking about, you know, the art of persuasion and negotiation, you know, the importance of having a very strong inner circle, just business practices that he learned over his years, even doing illegal business practices, you know, being able to use adversity to your advantage. Now, there is a link in the show notes where you can go and sign up for this private Zoom training with Michael. And then the mob tie stuff is just something that I'll put there in the show notes as well. So you guys can go and check out that website. It's not going to be for everybody, but it's 
for those folks that are really wanting to level up. And again, Michael produces such fantastic content. I've had some, you know, off air conversations with him. There's some really, really unique and cool things that they're going to be doing. And so I just wanted to bring that to you as an option, guys, if that sounds like something that you would want to do, or at least kind of dip your toe into to see if it's something that you wouldn't want to do long-term, just make sure you go to that link. Again, it will be in the show notes and it's going to be right below that. I'll put the mob ties uh, link in there in the show notes. So guys, whew, longest intro ever, but I had a great time with John Cooper. We recorded a great episode. So without further ado, let's get into it. What's up, everybody? We're here. Cooper stuff. Undaunted life. We Together. Were, we were trying to decide we we're going to mash have up a, a, a killer name. Undaunted. Cooper, Cooper life stuff. Un- just just mush them together, the least creative like name possible. <laughs> Undaunted Cooper. I kind of like this. Although out. Corey just did our sound check a second ago, and she said we both had like I think the exact phrase was the world's sexiest raspy voices. I think is what she said I about think both it, of yeah, us. Yeah, all her was raspy, but yeah. um, but I will I'll take it. Yours is a lot stronger than mine, so we'll see how <laughs> this goes for the rest of this whole interview. That's not what she said, but still, it's close. Um. So we're here. Uh, first of all, everybody needs to watch this instead of listen so they can see the quality of chairs we're sitting on. Look at this. Look at these things. Look we're basically this. in a room right now that had to have been an antique shop at some point in life. And like <laughs> neither one of these uh, chairs was made in the last century. Look at this. This is it, man. Anyway, so yeah, we're, we're basically. All right. So, so Skillet's on the road. We are in Tulsa. Tulsa? Mm-hmm. Tulsa, Oklahoma. Tulsa. Yeah. Uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, and um, we're playing here tonight in just a couple of hours, and so we had to wait until sound check was done. Long story short, we're recording in in at the the Tulsa Theater, and this place is old, man. It's really old. It, it was very difficult getting up here, but we're here. It's not the most beautiful thing, but we're making it work. Thanks for driving down. So you live in OKC? Yeah, so I live just north of Oklahoma City, and so like anytime y'all come close, I'm going to force you to hang out with me. So that's how that's going to work. Yeah, I didn't even want to, but you were like, can I, I please, just showed up. please, please I just kind of showed up. Out. I figured that's the bus that they're in probably, and then you answered the phone, which was your mistake. Yeah, we did it. So we're doing like a combined episode here, yeah. and so we're like releasing on both of our shows, and I'm going to steal your thunder from the very beginning, because there's something that I want to talk to you about oh, that I text st- you about steal my thunder. right from the beginning. So, so just again, <laughs> see, I don't have any of that. Like, I can't just all of a sudden start singing. But like, okay, so something that, that I was talking about with, with you a few weeks ago, I just sent you a text out of nowhere, uh, and I asked you, I was like, what do you think about delayed sanctification? Okay. Right. So it's kind of a a heavy and a hard place to start here. But I was talking about how like someone can become a Christian Mm -hmm. and then have like a super long dry spell of, you know, maybe they're reading the Bible, maybe they're going to church a little bit, but then like all of a sudden out of nowhere without any prompting, all of a sudden their appetite for scripture is strengthened. Their appetite for, you know, expository preaching goes through the roof. You know, they don't see the value in starting a new show that they'll binge watch. They're trying to like binge read, you know, books written by dead guys. And like, we didn't really have any time to, you know, really talk that through at all. But I just wanted to kind of see where, where you were at with that. Because the reason why I'm asking is because that's where I feel like I'm at. I was telling you, I was like, this is where I feel like I'm at in my life where it's like, I've had these spells where it's like, I didn't, didn't think about the, the, Christian fathers. I didn't think about reading scripture and it really came to head last year. I read 53 books, but I don't think I read 53 chapters of the Bible. Mm. And I was like, wait a minute, this is a big problem. And so this year it's like, I've really toned down the number of interviews I've done that have required books to read. You know, we added something called the forging table. So more scriptural study, Mm. but like, 
have you have you ever even talked to someone before that's like thought like delayed sanctification like you're being sanctified but it like it didn't happen right after you were saved it's like right. it took like a 20 year break <laughs> or something like that yeah yeah i've never heard i've never heard anybody use that word I thought you were saying delayed gratification at first, so I thought maybe he said the wrong thing. You were, yeah. you were meaning <laughs> delayed gratification. Different big word, yeah. Um, yeah, diff- different Asian word, which which I don't know if you noticed, but like every Red Hot Chili Peppers song has the, has a shun word. Right. You're right, Californication, Asian, everything. It works kinda, with their style. Kind of drives me batty, but anyway. So um, I've not really heard that, but yeah, I mean, I've definitely known a lot of people who have felt like, well, first of all, we should say yeah. Sanctification is one of these great things in the Bible that's confusing, but it's, it's, it's such an amazing concept that in that we have been sanctified, we are being sanctified, we will be sanctified. So this is it's a process. And uh, so it makes sense that we have these times in our lives when all of a sudden we start feeling something kind of ramping up. There's a lot of change happening. And that's why for some people, I don't know if you've ever talked to people like this. They say, what's your testimony? When did you give your life to Christ? And some people go, well, uh, I, I made a decision when I was a kid, but, but then, then they have all I got all baptized, these... and then like, oh, yeah. I got baptized again like 10 years later, like that kind of thing. Yeah, you know, and, and I think those are great conversations. But true, the work of the Spirit is a mystery, and that there is a thing happening when you say, I don't know. I know the Spirit was at work in my heart. I knew I had faith. I knew that God was beginning this regeneration in my heart, but did I have that hunger? You know, what was I, uh, you don't want to say feeling close because then all of a sudden it makes your walk with God all about a feeling. That's not really what you, what you mean, but you mean, um, an, an open, intimate relationship with Christ in a way that I'm, I'm hungering for him. I'm passionate for the word. It's more like you're recognizing a closeness as opposed to the closeness being yes. the point. Like you're just recognizing like it's almost like he's pulling me closer. Not that he's getting closer to me, but he's pulling me closer to himself. Maybe he's trying to show me something in this season. But, you know, then you start thinking, like, why did the delay happen to begin with? But part of it mm-hmm. has to do, like, well, you weren't reading the Bible. You weren't reading God's word. You weren't spending a lot of time in prayer. Yes. And you're shocked that you felt far away. It's kind right. of one of those things. Yeah, and, I, and it's definitely, for me, I, I always find a, a reciprocal thing happening. Hungry for the word of God. And when I read the word of God, it, the result is hunger for the Word of God, right? So it's a little bit like it's, if, if people watching now might be, I know we just jumped right into this, but people might be going like, I, I don't really feel hungry for the I, I read the Bible because I feel like I have to. I don't know if I'm hungry for it. I, I, I would encourage people, love the Word of God, and you're going to find that you want more of it. Be- right. Because all of a sudden you go, oh, this really is a lamp unto my feet. This is a, this is a ma- an amazing thing. So um, I think there probably are a lot of people like that out there, and uh, go to church, but not really ever gotten into that that relationship with God when they're reading the, the Bible, understanding it, and and wanting more of it. Well, it's like your palate will change based on the stuff that you're eating. So I'll talk to people that you know out of nowhere. They'll just come to this realization, like, I've been going to this church for 10 years. It's more of a seeker-sensitive model church. There's not expository preaching. But every week for years and years on end, they've been getting Skittles. And it's like, it tastes good. This is great. It's very Mm. emotional. But by the time you leave the parking lot, the Skittles have worn off, and now your your body's desperate Mm. for nutrition again. And then they'll either stumble stumble on the teachings of a, an expository preacher or the writings of some dead guy that we're supposed to not pay attention to anymore. And then all of a sudden it's like, wait a minute, there, I feel like there's maybe something I'm missing. It's like it's been Skittles, 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 and then all of a sudden it's steak. And it's like, 
I, I think I want more of this steak. Mm. Like as, as fun as Skittles are, I want to make steak the, the prime thing that I feast on and try to get my nutrition from. But yeah, I'll, I'll get emails from, from people that listen to the show and they're just like, yeah, like how do I find, do you know of any, you know, churches in my area? And it's like, no, like I barely know the churches that are in mine because <laughs> I go to one, but they, it's just kind of that thing to where it's like, there's something there that you need to continue to explore because you're not having these thoughts for no reason. And that doesn't mean the church you're at is the devil or leading people down the wrong road. It might be, but like at the same time, it's like you have a desperate, a desperation for something more nutritious than what you're getting now. Mm-hmm. And so go look for it. I think that's right. I think it's an, uh, it, I think it's an issue of depth, you know, of, and not depth of the chair. Cause as you can see, he put me in a chair where I'm a lot yeah. lower. If you're watching this on YouTube, like, so I'm like sinking down the entire time, but it's we're roughly the same thing. size. Okay. Gosh. <laughs> We're not the same size. You're a, you're a lot bigger than well, me. Well, like t- heights, but we're like the same height. length yes. away from the ground. Yes, yeah. My arms do not look like like. I got stung by a bee on the way in. <laughs> on one side. <laughs> Just one, one side. One it's the arm. one really close to the camera. <laughs> but I do think it's an issue of depth. You know, I think that I think what you get with a lot of the, the seeker model, you get a lot of, of therapeutic stuff. It's a lot of this is how I feel good. This is how God wants to help me through my day to day, and and of course. God does want to help you through your day, and that's really wonderful. But the more you get into the depth of the Word of God, what you begin to find out is that I don't even know what I what I need today. So in other words, the seeker model is, is I know what I need, and I need God to give it to me today. The, the depth of the Word of God teaches you you actually don't know what you need. You think you want something, but it might not actually be good for you. Well, it's like you God want, knows what you need. So in the seeker-sensitive model, it's like you want— here's my life. So it's like, I'm going to do what I'm going to do, but now I'm going to ask God to bless it. And so you want him to be the concrete in and around all the, you know, rebar that you put in the (laughs) ground. But it's like, no, it's like, where are we putting the rebar? Like what direction are you going? And like all that. And then we can worry about the materials later. So it almost feels a little bit like that to where you're just like, well, what is the phrase? Like moral therapeutic deism. Like that's what the church has become. It's like, okay, let's make you feel not even slightly challenged. We certainly don't want to be offensive. Mm. And if we do that, then we've failed and we've been, we've been unloving. And so what we do is we make sure that you don't feel challenged. You leave comfortable in your sin. And then there's no formational life change at any point. Uh, that's exactly, that's a great way to say what I was uh, getting at. And, 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 and in fact, we'll go back to delayed gratification. Yeah, you see how we bring it back, back around? Yeah, just right planning. back around. Let's go. But I think, that's a, I think that's a great way to say so. The idea of delayed gratification you know, as a parent, you know, you want your kids to be happy. And it's, sometimes it's hard to say no to your kids because you love them so much. And they're like, yeah, I want to eat ice cream. And no, we're not doing that now. You eat your peas first, right? You eat your vegetable, whatever. Um, but, but the idea is that you need to teach your kids to do what they need to do. And then if there's time after they do what they need to do, that's their homework, their chores, all the things that you're supposed to do, if you have time, well, guess what? Now you get to do what you want to do. And, and you, they, they are learning to delay the things that they enjoy doing. And that's good because if you don't do that with kids, then they just they get spoiled. They get what they want all the time. They don't learn disciplines. And they just become lazy and stuff. And it's not good in a lot of ways. And so I think what moralistic therapy deism, as you, as you said, um, and to some extent the seeker model, what it teaches us is to say, is is to to be the sort of anti delayed gratification. This is what I want. This is what I need. But in the end, it's like the Lord is like that's actually that's what you think you need. But if you were to understand, you know, my, my design. This is 
God talking here, if you will. If you were to understand my design, you would understand that, that I know what's good for you. And so you, you need to understand these systems, the way the world is built and the way that humans are built. You think you want it and it's not going to be good for you. But I am going to taste good. I'm going to actually be what you want. You just don't know it. And so I think once you get into the depth of the word of God, I mean, I, when I look around now at, at, at society, there's no stability People are so chaotic. Young people, a lot of times, and I'm not making fun of them, I feel bad for them, don't know how to express what they even, they, they can't express what they even feel. They, they can't put it into words because they are so utterly confused. And I think all of this goes back into, in, in terms of the church, we are not teaching um, the sort of depth, the systems, the way the world's created, the created order, the way that life is supposed to work so that we can fit into God's order and thrive. Well, you say stability. So if you're building a pyramid, obviously you need to make the base as wide and as strong as possible. And so those are the first things, right? So when people talk about first things first, Mm -hmm. but the problem is we're trying to build the pyramid upside down. Yes. And so there's so much instability in people's relationships. There's so much instability in people's theology. And then that has downstream consequences with every other subject. So a pastor might be, you know, banging his head against the wall. Why can't I get the congregation to believe that, you know, we should protect human lives in the womb? It's like, well, they don't even have a foundational idea that human life is of infinite value, that people are made in the True. image of God. And so we're starting with the political and we're, we're not presupposing that there are things before the political. Yes. Right. And so like I used to do this thing back in the day, it's like kind of a, a church campy type deal, but you get a big clear bucket. I and then, you. Yeah, going. you're good. But it's like, you, you've got a, a, a big clear bucket and it's like, Hey, here are the most important things in your life. Like your faith, your family or whatever. And those are like softballs that you put in the bucket. And then you start working your way down to like, okay, now baseballs. Okay. Now golf balls. Okay. Now marbles. Okay. Now sand. And you know, we talk about, you know, eventually when you fill it up with sand, you can't even see the things that are important to you. That's where we are now to where there's so many things to be concerned about. We're concerned about why we got 80 likes on this Instagram post as opposed to a hundred likes. And we're not focused on what is God trying to show me through his word? What is God trying to lead me to or point me to Mm. in a particular direction? And it's because we're building the pyramid upside down. And it's kind of like what we were talking about earlier, a couple hours ago, where it's like, we don't have, our pastors are worried so much about being offensive to people that they're forgetting the gospel or they're thinking that there's a cuter, less offensive way to present it. And it's like the gospel in and of itself is offensive and you should start there in your churches. Mm -hmm. Like every sermon should in some way point to the gospel because the entire book points to the gospel, right? They didn't know that whenever the Old Testament was being written as it was being lived out in history back in the day, Mm -hmm. but kind of where we're at now, it's like, no, we've seen the end of the story. We know where this goes. It's like, but we don't want to, we don't want to hang our hat on that because it might, you know, make people feel sad. Right. (laughs) Which, you know, I know, I I do know what you mean. Um, so, So I have so many thoughts on so many things that you just said, but you know, I think like, for instance, uh, Maybe I'll give an example because I think people might be able to relate to this in some way because everybody watching has got things they want to do with their lives, right? Maybe they, they want to be a musician or whatever the story is. But I'll just tell somebody a story um, um, about a musician. And, they, you know, um, a friend of mine that I, I want to play music. I feel called to play music. It's my life's dream. I've worked for it for years. I prayed for it. And, and, and God has never given me this this. He, he never gave me my dream. Yeah. I have friends like this, and 
I remember saying to one of my friends, I was like, has it crossed your mind? <laughs> don't, don't has it crossed your mind that God might not have given this to you because it's not good for you? It, it, yes, he wants to give you the desires of your heart. Has it crossed your mind that God works all things together for the good of those who love Christ according to his purpose? What if it's not actually good for you? Because I know people who used to live for Jesus they prayed for that music gig. They finally got that band, and they guess what? They even had a radio hit, and all this. And, and they're not walking with God anymore. They don't want anything to do with Christ. You know, they they almost denied him the first chance that they got. Right. right? First time they got pushed back. First time they got pushed back. Boom. Yeah. No, I'm I'm no, I'm a Christian, but boom, they're done. And in the end, wouldn't you rather have your salvation? And play in a band. That's ridiculous. So some of this, also, I think, comes down to a, as you say, uh, the pyramid is a great example, building a wide base. What does God want for, for my life? It's not about what I want for my life. What does God want for my life? How can I glorify him? First things first, right. I want to glorify God. And if there's something in my life that I want, but God knows it's going to take me down a path where I deny Christ or I God forbid, you know, cheat on my spouse or abuse my child or, or, or whatever that, that, that they may be, then I don't want that. And, and I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit, the faithfulness of God. I'm going to trust him to keep me away from even the things I'm praying for that I think I want if they're not good for me. You know, I mean, all this is, this is such rich Bible truth right. that we should be teaching. Well, the thing that you're, you're nailing right here <clears throat> as well, John, is that when you start lamenting that you're not getting what you feel like you deserve, it's a very narcissistic place of being, mm, yeah. but you're also assuming the knowledge seat of God. And so the, the way that you've probably seen, <clears throat> excuse me, that you've seen, uh, you know, a Christian apologists do it before is when they're talking to an atheist, they'll say, Hey, if you had to put a, a percentage on it, what percentage of all the knowledge in the universe do you possess? Like, and then, <laughs> you know, if they answer honestly, it's like, well, less than 1%. So if you look at it like a pie chart, like it's a little thin sliver. Like you can't even find a, a, a marker with a thin enough tip to draw the sliver of stuff that you know. But in that sliver of stuff that you know, you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God doesn't exist and that his son wasn't sent here to die for you to where you would have propitiation for your sins so you could be before mm -hmm. a holy and just God. It's not possible. So you're saying that that possibility and that knowledge it's, is non-existent and the other 99.999 repeating of knowledge that there is in the universe, right? right? That's what right. you're saying. We're presupposing the same thing when we get so disappointed that God isn't answering our prayers with the things that we think mm -hmm. that we want. And that's the exact reason why, because it's, you know, maybe it's that they just don't have the skill set because you need to have skill set, passion, and have that confirmed by the marketplace. And the marketplace could just be your friends and family mm -hmm. that yes, you're good at this. Yes, you're passionate about it, so you're going to keep working at it. And yes, everyone agrees that that this is something that you are absolutely talented at. But it could go to the exact place that you're saying where it's like, God knows that you're going to deny him at the first state. But let's say you start denying him after your single blows up. Now you've got a few thousand dorks that are just like hanging on your every word, like <laughs> trying to like, hey, what's this? What's my favorite guitarist or singer or artist or whatever mm. saying now? And then you may have created an entire generations worth of deconstructionists oh, or people yeah. that are just all of a sudden their faith is just going to disappear like a fart in the wind. And it's just because you play an instrument that they like to hear through their ear holes. Mm -hmm. And now all of a sudden, and it all goes back to God gave you what you wanted. 
right? Yeah. Or God allowed for free will to take place. Mm-hmm. And now all of a sudden look at the position that you're in and the position you're creating for other people. Absolutely. I mean, I think, I think all these things are so very important when we are really talking to, to Christian people or non-Christian people, of course, about building our lives upon the word of God, why that matters. And I know for people who aren't Christians, they, it just sounds to them like building upon some old, old book. Yeah, I don't really right. get it. But for Christians, we need to, I, I think we need to reawaken to, to the word of God, to reawaken to the significance of this book that we have. You know, I mean, I was reading, I was reading a story that, that I've read a hundred times just this week, right? You remember the story um, in, in the Old Testament? Um, they are bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to, they want to bring it back to the city of David. Yep. Of course, you're not supposed to touch the Ark of the Covenant. They're going down, they're singing the whole thing, and, the, and they trip when they're carrying because they have like the poles on the Ark, and they trip, and I think Yuza, or whatever his name is, Yuza reaches out to steady the Ark of the Covenant because he didn't want it to hit the ground. He touches it, which he's not supposed to do. He dies. I mean, I've read the story a hundred times, but I, for some reason, I, I had never paid attention to right after that. <laughs> so he touches it. He dies. David is upset. But then it says that the fear of the Lord came on David. And then he was like, I don't want the Ark of the Covenant coming to the city of David. I'm too afraid. I'm afraid of the presence of God. Now, yeah. This is David. Right. This is, this is a man who's known the presence of the Lord since he's a kid. In, in, in a prophetic way, in a way, you know, way that other people you know, didn't at the time. As, and so you're, you're looking at this going... He is so afraid of God that he says, I don't want to bring the ark back. And they leave it. I can't remember the guy's name. They leave for three months. And, and then they go back and, and they end up bringing it. And that's when David dances, you know, and he makes a quote unquote fool of himself. The whole thing. We know the story. But I had never really read the part where it says, he, the fear of the Lord came on. And he said, I don't want it back. And I remember thinking, man, we do not believe in the fear of the Lord no. in any way these days. Because Jesus is our friend which is an amazing truth. Jesus is our friend, but it is right to, to have this fear of the Lord. And I think that if all you ever do is go to, a, to, to church meetings where we're all saying, what does God have for me today? He wants me to be happy and blessed. And what, you are not going to walk away with a reverent fear of God. And if you don't have a reverent fear of God, then you cannot love God properly. There, there's no true love of God without fear of God. Right. So, so I think that us reawakening to what this book is, is just a wonderful thing. Well, reverence is the right ordering of things and the right yes. way of looking at people. Like if you've ever been in a room before and you've probably experienced this because you've ran in some different circles with celebrities and, and artists and all that. There's certain people other that people that are around me have run with celebrities. Yeah, I, I yeah. want to be clear. About okay. That. Well, it's like you, that's like, what you're doing right now. No, no, I'm not. <laughs> but like, just think about like some certain people walk in a room yeah. and then everyone gets hushed. Oh, yeah. And then there are other people that they're such big personalities that the moment they say something that's even vaguely funny, everyone laughs. Right. And it's just like because you're reverent for that person. And just the thing about it this way is if God's not scary, like, then Jesus is just your cosmic boyfriend. And so if he's just your cosmic boyfriend, then aren't you going to sing songs that almost places him in the place of being a cosmic boyfriend? Like we don't make songs about the fact that he comes back with his robe dipped in blood and a tattoo on his leg and, you know, a sword in his mouth and all the, like Mm -hmm. we don't talk about it that way. That's why, you know, in Undaunted Life, we talk about the Lion of Judah all the time. And it's not because the Lamb of God is not important. It's the exact opposite. 
It's like you can't really understand who Jesus is if you don't understand him as grace mm. and truth, <clears throat> yeah. lion and lamb. And we have so much focus on the easy stuff. It's easy to understand the lamb to a degree. It's sure. easy to understand, you know, mm-hmm. uh, hey, we're, we just want to we just want to feel good and we want grace because grace makes us feel good. The truth part is scary. Lion part is really scary to us. And that that's kind of what you and I were talking about earlier. It's like pastors will kind of gravitate towards the stuff that's easier to talk about because it's really hard to build a multi-site church with, you know, and all you talk about is like spiritual warfare or mm-hmm. like, you know, obscure old Testament stories that people don't really care about anymore. Cause Hey, it's 2023. Like, why are we even talking about this? But yes, like if you don't understand that God is scary, not scary, like, you know, horror movies, yeah, scary. Sure. he's scary. Like if you don't do the things that he requires of you, it goes poorly for you. He's scary for your good. Yes. And we just, we don't think of it that way. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's also funny. I mean, we are such a product of our culture. It's just, it's, it's really annoying and funny, (laughs) but there are a lot of things that people go, well, yeah, because you know, we don't, people don't like to think of God like that because you know, people like, for instance, all right, let me rewind. Here's what I'm trying to people sometimes attribute things to, to human nature that are not accurate, right? It's because your culture has made you think that. One of these things would be sometimes people that are always banging on the church, right? They're always like, the church doesn't help the poor. And it's and they don't ever do enough for whatever. And, and it's always, all you got to do is read a little bit of history and you find out, actually, <laughs> the, only, the only reason that you think that people just really want to help the poor is because you've grown up in America, right. which was a, a nation built on Christian principles. Um, it was Christianity and, and, and even Yahweh in the Old Testament who taught people that they should care about the poor. It wasn't like that was everybody was caring about the poor. And then, you know, Christianity changed it. Come on. It's, it's, it's the opposite way around. And it's the same way. Um, and, you know, what you see in the Old Testament when Yahweh comes in the picture changes, changes history. I mean, before before, um, you know, the Old Testament scriptures, what you're dealing with is. A, a belief in polytheism, dealing with gods, uh, gods that are terrible and mean and violent. And, you know, we hear these stories, they, they eat their children or the children, the, 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 the children wants to have sex That's with right. his mom. Yep. And so he murders his own father. I mean, th- these are the gods, all of creation was believed to have, have been created through these wars between gods and in bloodshed and rape and murder and the God of the Bible shows up Yahweh shows up and and he is a God of mercy he's a God whose mercies are new every single morning this makes no sense right, right. this is a God that is that, that is personal and he he knows your name and he calls you by name and he wants to have a relationship with you and he humbles himself to make a covenant with men this is not something that, that the pagan gods did. This would be way beneath them. And so what you see in Yahweh is a God that is both uh, uh, higher than the other gods because he is seen as a God above gods, if you will. He's the one who created the, 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 the sky and the moon and all these things that, 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 that people worshipped. So what you see is Yahweh coming to say, yeah, you know, those things you worship like the sun, I created those things. Right. So, so he's higher than them, but he also has humbled himself to, to be 
um, imminent and is what they call it in theology, right? So all of a sudden he said, I know your name. I want to make a covenant with you. Here's what I'm going to do for you. I, uh, you know, I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. It's amazing stuff. But we take it for granted. Right. We take it for, in, in these crazy ways that, so we go, well, of course I can relate to God as being a nice person, but not somebody I'm afraid of. But that's only because you've been trained to think that because of what Christianity did. It right. is right. It was in a Batman Begins. Remember the movie Batman yeah, Begins? Yeah. Falcone, he's, he's like, like the, the mob, mob boss. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I remember the beginning, you know, before uh, Bruce Wayne's become Batman, he's he goes in, into the bar and he's going to kill Falcone. And he goes, he's all tough. And then Falcone was like, hey, you got a lot of heart. I'll give you that. But but you, um, you're in a world that you don't understand and you always fear what you don't understand. Right. You know, you're always going to be afraid. And that kind of creates Batman. That's true. You think you're not going to be afraid of the living God? It's a really, it's an asinine thought. Well, it's the same thing when you see atheists make arguments about how God doesn't exist. What they're using is a Christian framework built on a Judeo-Christian ethic to even make their arguments. Because they'll say something like, well, what about these bad things that happen to good people? Right. I was like, <laughs> but if we're all just highly evolved chimps that wear clothes and talk to one another and that we're our, yeah. you know, we're just ans our ancestors were, you know, fish and goo and stardust before that. It's like, what does this matter? Like none of this matters. Like you're putting a value system that you learned. Like, so they're smuggling in Christianity. hundred percent. Right? They're, they're kind of, but like, even think about it. Why do we have hospitals? Why do we have universities? Yeah. These are Christian institutions. Why are all these hospitals named after Christians, right? Like why are they started right. by Catholics? Same thing with these universities. Go read the founding documents of Harvard and Yale and Penn and, and Princeton and Cornell. Like these were meant to be Christian institutions for the equipping of the saints and the spreading of the gospel and things like that, not in kind of a modern theological mm -hmm. sense. But again, it's like, where do you think you got that idea that we matter? Yes. Because like right. you think that matter came from non-matter. I'm changing, mm -hmm. you know, I'm talking about different matter now, yeah. <laughs> but it's like, you know, so you're saying that time, space and matter came from a timeless, spaceless, immaterial place. Mm -hmm. Please explain that to me right. and don't say, well, it happened trillions of years ago. I don't quite understand. Yeah. It. And then say, and it has to have value. Right. Cause there, there and is that, no value system. No, I, I always, I always say me like, I don't want any of my atheist friends, obviously, do not want them to be nihilist. <laughs> I don't want them to kill themselves. I don't want them to be depressed and go and, and get and live lives of alcoholics. But I, if I did not believe in God, nihilism makes a lot of sense to me. Right. Because you're right. You say, well, we, we exist for, for what purpose, for what reason? Well, there isn't a reason. Then, then, then why are we valuable? And right. I can appreciate this a sentimental feeling that we that we want to matter and that that it your life will be better for you if you live as if you matter i can appreciate that but 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 from an intellectual standpoint with with without a a creator god i i don't i don't see where you can find the value so i do think you're right i think that, that people are, are smuggling and i saw just this week we posted something on Skillet. I think that I was at a concert. I think I had said something to the crowd about that you matter. You are fearfully and wonderfully made, which, of course, is a Bible verse. But your life matters. I don't care if you're a Christian or not. Where you come from, color your skin, your life matters, and I care about you. And in people, you know, on Instagram, cool, you know, somebody said, I absolutely agree with this because um, it's taken trillions of years to get the 
and I don't remember his words, the isotopes of so-and-so to align together so that we could, so, so, we, so we should make this life count. It was his way of saying, I'm an atheist, but I do agree that we matter because it's taken trillions of years to make all this happen. And, and I appreciate his comment, but I'm just like, like, I'm glad that, I'm glad that you can find meaning in that because I, I don't want you to go down a nihilistic rage that ends in suicide. But that's not enough for me. Yeah. You know, yeah. I know that I matter because God is real. <laughs> right. Well, <and laughs> that's what defines it. Well, you have to granularize it a little bit to where it's like, okay, let's go to a granular level and let's say there's a newborn child sitting here on this table. And yeah. I, I've heard people use a similar example to this. And it's like, okay, so I take a hammer and I bash the, the head of this baby in. Good is gracious, that is that Kyle. wrong? I'm sorry. I didn't come up with the example. I Kids didn't come up with, don't don't talk show. to them. Don't ask them. Kids okay, watch this. Uh, okay, it's a teddy bear. Then just okay. switch it out. A teddy bear is a lot better. That's thank alive you. and vaguely looks like a child. Unless it's Pooh Bear, because that's okay. nice. But I got it. But it's like okay, so <laughs> someone someone ends the life of a child, and then it's like, and you would say that's wrong, correct? And they would say, well, yeah, of course that's wrong. Explain to me why. Right. Why is that wrong? Because if we're if we're just Darwinian. If we're just, you know, materialist or something like sure. that, then that is a stronger ape or stronger chimp that took something life away from a younger chimp. And I, if I am the stronger chimp that did that thing, I can say, well, we only have a finite amount of resources. It's kind of this anti-natalist position of a mm -hmm. lot of people that push yeah. the green movement, okay. but it's like, we have this finite set of resources and, you know, obviously, and let's just say that the kid had some sort of abnormality, some sort of deformity of some kind. It's like, well, this is perfect. We're getting them out Got of the it. gene pool because our genes are what matter. You know, you have someone like Dawkins saying, yeah, we dance to our DNA. If you go by that as a worldview, you're going to eradicate anyone who has DNA that you deem as unworthy for procreative purposes. Yeah, right. That's right. And yeah. so there is no next step with those people because you have to get them to the point to where if they take their ideology to its actual end, mm -hmm. it is, I can't say that it's wrong. I can just say that I don't like it. And it's right. like, that's at least an intellectually honest position. It's gross. Like it's, that's a rough place to be, mm -hmm. but it's like, at least it's intellectually honest, but that's where you have to put people. I think that Christians, a lot of times, John, they feel like they feel like they're, they need to be the ones on the defensive. So they're always on their heels yeah. where it's like, if you have the moral position, like if you were, a, a you know, a parrot of the Judeo Christian mm -hmm. ethic, which, it, which, which undergirds the entirety of society, then why don't you feel like you can ask a question of their worldview? Because you're yeah. not being mean. Mm -hmm. You're just saying, hey, this doesn't make any sense to me. If we're just highly evolved chimps, what does it matter? Because it doesn't. Yeah, you know, I, I think that's exactly where I was going in, in my mind. We are such a product of our culture that, as you say, what you will end up with were people that say, well, no, I don't. I know it's no, I don't like it. I don't know why. And the reason will be because they've, they've grown up in the culture they, they've grown up in. But I think you just hit it on the head. I think that as we dig into the word of God, we begin to, we become so stabilized. It's like your feet are in, your, your feet are in some, are in concrete, yeah, right? right? Your, your feet are to the ground. And so you're not, you're not thrown around on like, I, 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 like, let me think, say it like this. I feel so bad for young people because every week they're going to find out the new thing they're not allowed to say. Right. Or the new thing that they have to think in order to be perceived as a person of justice, right? Or like yep. a, to, to be, be a, the new thing they have to, to say. be a virtuous. Yeah. yeah. I didn't think that was wrong last week, but you're right. I actually shouldn't say that. So now I'm going to reform and reshape next week. Look at, look at the social medias, look at the TikToks. What am I supposed, what am I not allowed to say this week? And it changes again and again. And it's such a, 
no wonder they're so anxious. This is a this is such an anxiety producing culture. Christianity, the word of God teaches you to put your feet into concrete. And we should not we if there's anything I can encourage Christians to do in 2023, it would be to stop playing defense. As you just said, it's like, don't play defense, don't feel like, well, well, you know, when they ask you, well, do you really think that you really think abortion's, you know, wrong, even if this, even if we were talking earlier, yeah. even in cases of rape, even in case of this, and, and, and the first thing the Christians do is defense, right? They're like, well, well, they start dancing, yeah. you know, well, well, I just, no, no, I, I, I think that, and they go and they go and they go instead of realizing you don't have to play defense. You can play nicely and lovingly. You can play offense, put, put a positive vision for the future, which is life matters. Bad stuff is going to happen because humans suck and because we do a bunch of nasty stuff, because we need Jesus, we need to be redeemed. But life absolutely matters. And if you have the right to say that that child who is going to be born with some sort of a health issue doesn't deserve to live, they don't have individual rights, but that other child does, then, then what's to stop you from saying that color child should not be born? Sure, of, course. of course, we've already been down this road yeah. you know, um, already in, in eugenics and stuff 100 years ago. But what's to stop that from happening? So let's put a positive vision for the future, which is you matter because you're creating the image of God, and we have to fight for that right no matter what. That is such a, a better vision of the future. And we could extrapolate that on any, any single issue, people watching. You take any issue you wanted, political issue, ethics, education, crime, you name it. We are the ones who have a positive vision of a future that is static, yeah. meaning that our feet are in concrete. And it's not going to change because somebody on the Twitters yells at us next week and says a whole brand new thing that we have to change. No, no. We are the ones with our feet in concrete. We should be the ones presenting that positive view of, of the future. Well, and it's also your temptation to the Christians out there listening to this is going to be to moderate your position Yeah. to, okay, let's get a little bit closer to the center because somehow you've gotten this idea that every single subject matter has a moderate center position. Absolutely. But what I would ask you, since we're talking about the abortion subject is what is the middle of the road position on abortion? Now, what some people will say is, okay, you know, uh, we need to have exceptions for rape, incest, health of the mother, and a certain time period because, you know, let's make 12 weeks the cutoff because before that uh, or after that, it gets icky. But the reality of abortion is the further you go on in the pregnancy, the abortion is the same. It's just dirtier. It's just messier. There's just more blood and tissue that you have to pull out of the mother. And so at the end of the day, that's why I ask people, what is the moderate position on abortion? Because in reality, they think it's multifaceted, but it's actually not. It's binary. It's either a life worthy of protection or it's not, or it's just, you know, it's, it yeah, is the body of the mother. Unless you're not being intellectually honest, which right. a lot of people don't want to be. And so, but what I don't want people to hear is because obviously you and I, our, our personalities are a little bit more forward. We like to draw straight lines mm -hmm. and, and get there as quickly as possible. That doesn't mean be a jerk. It's not licensed to be a jerk. And it's not also that you're going to open yourself up to all these slings and arrows, but you're in a position that is the morally righteous position. So you shouldn't equivocate and you shouldn't try to die the death of a thousand qualifications. Well, 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 yes. what about this? And well, 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 let me talk about that. Well, 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 it's either an image bearer of God or it's not. It's either worthy of our protection yes. or it's not. And if you want to argue from a biblical foundation, great. If you want to argue only using medicine and science and all that, great. You can do it either way. But again, we don't even know we're valuable 
except the fact that God basically told us that. <laughs> it's general right. revelation that we are of value, and theologically we know that's because we were made in the image of God. And so it, it's a very serious thing if you shed the blood of an innocent you know, image bearer. And like, so that's the thing to encourage these people is like, there are some positions like, there's not a binary thing on tax policy. Right. On immigration or all these different things like those are good to have with debates, but like the transgenderism thing, the abortion thing, like these are not positions where moderate is an option if you're going to be a Bible believing Christian. Yeah, I think that what's happened, I think that a lot of people in the Christian world feel like, and I understand where they're coming from, and I, I know that we all get this, that what, what, what they feel is this, I don't like the way Christians have come across. That's what they feel like. I don't think that we... I just think that we come across mean. I think that we come across that. And they think I'm going to be the one that can come across well. They're going to thread the needle somehow. I'm the one that's going to thread the needle. And if I use enough words and I use enough gestures and I I use enough, like, honestly. Super breathy sentences. Breathy sentences. They think that they are going to convince people that there's a third way. And there isn't a third way. That's the thing. And in the end. What, what ends up happening a lot of the times, eventually, the other side will end up finally getting mad because they go, you've been, you've been making me think there's a third way, yeah, but you don't actually believe in the third way, right. but you've been making me feel that and because it made you feel better that you were the one empathizing, right? right. And so th- there isn't a third way, but all of this goes together. Um, something that you talk on your show a lot about, which I think is one of your fortes, is... Um, also, that we have a positive vision. You, it's kind of difficult to only talk about the abortion issue as if it's completely separate from uh, the just sex in general. Sex, sex trafficking, pornography. Is there even meaning in sex or is it just an animalistic thing that, that we do? We just got to go have sex. That's the way it's got to be. And, and, and it, it, no. There is a design for all of these things. And I think what happened with Christianity, it just seems to me that the church decided to let certain things go. Sort of like, hey, we've already lost the battle on premarital sex, so let's don't talk about that anymore. Hey, we lost the battle on divorce, let's don't talk about that anymore. We lost the battle on pornography, even a lot of Christian pastors watch pornography now. We've lost the battle on all of that, so we're not going to talk about it, but we're going to keep talking about abortion. And so what I will say, and maybe where I will try to put, what do they call it when you, uh, a fig, uh, when you try to. Olive branch. Olive branch. Send it all. branch. a fig branch. It's an olive branch. I've been reading the Bible too much. That's right. It's the fig tree. That's right. Uh, The olive branch, what I hear from a lot of my non-Christian friends, or even people that say they're Christians, but they're really very left. They say, John, your side, all you do is harp about abortion, but you don't care about all this other stuff. And I'm, I'm a little bit like. That's a little bit true. There's a lot we should be talking about. You're right. We shouldn't have given, the church shouldn't have given up on all these other things. They are, they are interconnected. And what you will find is that a lot of churches will feel comfortable talking about abortion, but not, um, you know, pornography. They'll feel comfortable talking about sex trafficking, but not pornography. But we all know from reading something for five minutes on the interwebs, that all these things are interconnected yep. and God gives us a, a positive vision for this. And so what I think you, once upon a time, what you would have had were men that maybe they didn't respect women as they ought, but they at least knew they were supposed to. Right. 
Right. So there was a shame in not protecting women. There was a shame in knocking someone up. There was a shame in these things. And now we've removed all the shame. And in fact, a lot of churches are saying, you're not supposed to feel any shame over anything ever, which isn't true. And now that the shame is gone, guys are like, well, I don't need to pretend that I'm supposed to do this thing, which once more, why do we know that men are supposed to protect women? From the Christian worldview. Right. <laughs> well, it's the right ordering of morality. It's, it's like, the well, right ordering, that's right. Why do we know these things? So uh, earlier this year, I had Brittany Delamora on my show. She used to be a uh, porn star for seven years. You know, very, very famous porn star. And now she's a Christian minister and like helping get women out of it. And part of the reason that she talks about it, she's like, Kyle, the thing that most men that are masturbating, looking at these women or these images or something like that, most of them don't realize that a lot of those women are being trafficked. Right. And so it's like for her, she had a pimp. And so she had X amount of dollars that she had to produce daily. And so if she shot some scenes, she would make some money. If she didn't make enough money shooting scenes, she had to go perform sexual mm. acts for money on the street, right? Mm. Because her pimp said, this is your amount that you have to get to me per day. And there's no rollover from day to day. And it's like, that should change your outlook when you're watching someone that Jeez. you think is there because, you know, they want to live their sexually liberated life and have, you know, this libertine style of operating. It's like, no, that person is being forced to be there. Mm. They may have thought it was their option when they got in, when they were 18 or 19 years old. Now they're stuck. And yes, it, it goes into trafficking. It goes into all these other different areas. But the reality of it is, is there's a right ordering of these things for our flourishing and for our enjoyment and for our glory. Like I talk to people, obviously like the sexual act, there are certain things that are a part of that physiologically that serve no other purpose to your body other than to make you feel good. A lot of people don't talk about this or think about this, but when you eat food and enjoy it, that's because God gave you taste buds. Mm -hmm. And like, that is an amazing thing that when you eat something, it tastes a certain way and makes you feel a certain way. Now the, the atheist would say, well, like, oh yeah, that's an evolutionary outcome. Obviously you want to seek right. out these things. Well, okay. Well then when we biohacked to make, to make Doritos more valuable, you know, than, than broccoli, it's like, what were we doing? Were we messing up, you know, what, what Darwin would say, but I don't want to get too, too far out in the weeds here. The thing that people have to realize and bring themselves back to is there is an objective morality from which they need to base their decision-making in their life. Mm -hmm. But it's what we were talking about earlier, John, the church, just, we'll just use it, you know, as a macro term has accepted the position of being downstream from culture. Mm -hmm. And so culture said divorce isn't that big a deal. So the church started to say divorce wasn't that big a deal. Oh yeah. The, the, the culture says adultery is not really a big deal. pre rental sex is not really a big deal. And then it was homosexuality is not really a big deal. Like eventually it'll be polyamory is not really that big of a, of a deal. And there will be these mindless sheep pastors inside Christendom that will go along to get along with all these other different places. And when it's, when you sell off your moral position, like I remember when the church in Ireland, the Catholic church in Ireland, when abortion became legal in Ireland, people were like, where's the Catholic church? It's like they were too busy hiding the rape of boys to, to worry about holding their moral position in that society. And so the Irish people had no stomach for these, you know, priests that were coming out saying, yeah, we shouldn't kill babies. It's like, aren't you raping boys? And then they just like navel gazed and then walked, walked away from the fight. But again, it's like, we're selling little parts of our Christian morality, little by little, generation after generation. And then we look up at some point, perhaps 2023, and we realize, oh, crap, this is a position we don't really want to be in. Like, this isn't a world that's sustainable in the long term. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think that that, that some something really, something really um, nefarious happened as well over the, I think, I'd say probably early 2000s to now in church culture, which has been that we are not countercultural because what you're saying is is we're supposed to be countercultural. We're supposed to be holding right. the line 
on things that that the world um, it, they're unpopular to the world. Now the truth is is that the things that, that the world are going to try to do will they eventually fail and they go really really poorly. Yeah. And it should be us being like we've been saying that because God's way works. Right. And and you can change it and, and it's going to go really badly. God's way is better and and, and we should be holding the line. That would be countercultural. But something really nefarious happened in which we started saying okay, whatever the world says is popular, we need to say, hey, we kind of agree with that so that they know we love them. And then we call that being countercultural because it's against the old, quote unquote, legalism of the old or the fundamentalists of the old. And so what you end up having is people like, hey, we're doing countercultural ministry. And I look, I'm like, no, no, you're not. You're saying exactly. I even feel like, and I don't want to be too rude, but I feel like there's a lot of, Christian organizations, and I don't want to say everything that the Gospel Coalition does is like the Gospel Coalition does some good, says they have some good things and they have some things that are exactly like what I just said. Yeah. We're, we're holding a counter, we're, here's what they did in 2020. We're holding a countercultural position because we need to show the world we love them, so everybody needs to get a vaccine. <laughs> right. I'm like, that's, that's not countercultural. You're saying, exactly what Dr. Fauci told you to say. That's not countercultural. I don't care if you get a vaccine or not. I'm just saying it's not a countercultural position. Right. We need to be countercultural and, and, and keep our, our churches closed. So what, what they mean is counter church culture. Right. <laughs> they counter orthodoxy. Counter orthodoxy, but yeah. they're calling it countercultural. It's actually the opposite. So we need to be the ones to stand up and say, we are going to be countercultural. Um, not for the sake of being against, if the culture's right, if the culture lines up with the Word of God, we don't be against that. But we need to line up with the Word of God, not having the moral clarity that God's way is going to work. You're going to find that out in the, for instance, it's not possible. Well, I mean, I don't know the future, but it's not possible to build a society denying that there is a difference between men and women. Right. It, it's, it can't possibly last. I, I mean, could it? Maybe. Maybe we're going down full-on apocalypse. I don't know. But but you can't you can't thrive that way. Eventually, you will end up in mass chaos, right? And so right now, we're all deathly afraid because you're going to get canceled if you say something. You might lose your job. There are some real consequences to saying no to to this sort of madness right now. People and you get called a hater. Oh yeah, but. but we know we're not actually hating people. We're loving people because God's way works. That's not God's created order. It's not going to work, and eventually it, it will collapse. And so I think in encouraging Christians again, which this isn't what we plan on talking about. We no. just ended up yeah. hitting it over yeah. and over. We were planning on talking about something completely different than this. But I think it's for Christians to have moral clarity, be on the offense. God's way works, and it's a way to warn people of where this is going to lead to, whether or not they ever come to Jesus or not. We want people's lives to not be terrible. We want them to enjoy life. We don't want to end up seeing America in destruction, even if they don't come to Christ. That's where this is headed. When you don't want to be in a position where you're seen as loving by the culture, but you're actually being hateful. Like, so you would rather be seen as being hateful, but actually be loving. And so I think about this in the context of critical race theory, CRT, something you've talked about a lot on your show, same thing on my show. You have all these, you know, 
high-minded, highfalutin, you know, Christian pastors and theologians that are like, you know, we're just going to use critical race theory as a lens through which to understand the plight of people of color in this country. Now, just inherent in that one statement is a bunch of presuppositions that I don't think that you want to make. But the way that I would say it is like, if you were to say Christianity is like a cake and it's the perfect cake because it's a perfect worldview, it's the perfect way to look at humanity and all those types of things. And so it's like, great. I've made this cake. Oh, hey, John, before you get a piece of this, I put one teaspoon of diarrhea in the mix of this cake. <laughs> but it's it's just a little bit. Like, it's just uh, just a tiny little bit. The cake is fine, though. Uh, can I go ahead and get you a piece? The answer to anybody that has a, right. have a brain is going to be absolutely not. And so we keep bringing in these little teaspoons of diarrhea from culture. And it's, it's critical race theory. And it's uh, queer theory. And it's all these kind of Marxist ideas. And I know you're doing a lot of thinking and writing on those subject matters right now, but it's like, it's fruit of the poisonous tree in legal uh, circumstances. It's like, okay, you got this evidence under bad auspices. And so all the evidence that came off of this, it's root of the poisonous tree. We're not going to allow it to be used, but we get to critical race theory. And we don't discuss that it comes from critical theory, that it comes from the Frankfurt School, that it comes from Karl Marx, which comes from Satan's butthole, which comes from the pits of hell. Mm -hmm. Like that's where this ideology comes from. And it wasn't being filtered down and cleansed by the time it got to you. It didn't go through a a bunch of Brita filters. It was just as nefarious the whole way. It just looked less nefarious because people are like, oh yeah, Marxism, communism, that's crazy. By the way, um... Your kids are white, so they're oppressors. We're going to put them on this side of the fifth grade classroom. They're the people, the kids of color are going to be on this side, and then we're going to have a Maoist struggle session. It's the exact same ideology. Mm -hmm. It just feels uh, less invasive and less damaging. And so that's just kind of the way we act, and we're like, oh, yeah, sure, this will go great. I think that's right. It poisons the way you think, you know, so you like just this week, you know, I'm sure you saw um, Colin Kaepernick is oh my gosh. saying how his, uh, so Colin Kaepernick is, it was adopted by white parents. Right. And he's like, I mean, I know they love me, but there was all these problematic things and these racist things, you know, I'm listening to it. And so apparently, so he wanted to put his hair into cornrows. Right. And his white parents were like, you can't do that. He's like a thug. And he, and he's talking about how racist it was. And I'm just thinking, you know, how many times my dad told me that I look like a thug, you know, right. my white dad, obviously. Um, but what it does is it, when you put these, as they say, it's a, it's a way, it's an analytical tool. They say yeah, analytical tool. it's a lens right, to understand sure. culture. You're right. It is a lens that distorts everything. And you're like, even the good things in your life, like not having to grow up without parents. That's a really good thing. You didn't have to grow up with what somebody made a huge sacrifice to adopt you into their family as one of their own. Right. Um, this is this is like such a this is so, so insane. It's like such a picture of a the family gospel. that had two kids die. Yes. And after those kids passed away, they adopted Colin Kaepernick because they felt a void in their family that they filled, they filled with this child that was half white, half black, had been abandoned by his father, and then his mother mm-hmm. gave him up for adoption. And thank God she, she gave birth yeah. to the, that young man. I think he has some major problems that he needs to deal with. But that's the thing. It's like so that he can sell his new graphic novel, he's willing to throw under the bus his his parents that literally mm. saved his life I know, it's like he could be dead thing. in jail or he could be a ceo but he ended up being a world-renowned football player yeah. and made tens of millions of dollars 
before he became the, you know, the czar of victimhood. And so, but yeah, it's like, that's where we are as a culture. It's, it's like anything to make a buck and he will whore himself out for whatever thing he needs to do. And we live in a culture where your currency is oppression. Your currency is victimhood. And so again, if you're going to look, I, I love the way that you said that it's like, yes, it's a lens, but it's a lens that distorts. And if you use that as a lens, if, if critical race theory is your lens, Everything is a nail everything and you're the you hammer. Is, yeah, absolutely. Everything you see is from that perspective right. rather than I was adopted. That was That's amazing. I'm what so, a tremendous I'm, thing I would that not I be deserve. here had I not been adopted. I would not be making this money. I would not have these talents or I, or I wouldn't have been able to learn how to use these talents, right. you know, however you want to say that. Um, it, it, it's a way to change the things that you've been through, you right. know, and, I, and I, I, people know my testimony. I, I make jokes about my testimony, which is that, you know, my mom thought that Christian rock music was literally the most demonic thing the devil ever did on planet Earth. You know, thought on her deathbed, was nervous about me. I I feel like Lucifer is going to use John, me. He's getting in the earth to, to take people out of the kingdom. He's got to stay away from rock music. I mean, I kind of make jokes about it because... I don't see myself through a lens of, yeah, of victimhood and my mom wanted all this. And I showed her, no, I would not be born again if it were not for my mom. Right. I mean, um, and, and I laugh about it. Say, My mom loved me. I, I, it, it just depends on the way you look at it. So, yes, what we've done is we've put all these lenses over the way we read the scriptures now. And so social justice, of course, is one of those things. Um, victimhood. All the things we're talking about, sexuality, that's another thing. Christians now feel like we have to feel really terrible about talking about, you know, um, um, sexuality because it it rules us as well. People didn't think that before Freud. You know, it wasn't wasn't the defining factor of your life. That is an unreality. It's an untruth. The Bible Bible gives us... um, um, Plans for what our identity, who we are, why we are here, why did you make me like this? You know, so I I just think it's a great encouragement to to keep reminding Christians as you read the Bible, take all those filters off, all the stuff the world is telling you you have to do, and 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 for the pastors just saying no, we really do need to use those filters so we can understand the world. I think that is, um, I think it's nefarious. I really do. When we've used the word reverence quite a bit and we were using it in the context earlier of like, you know, being reverent of God, but we don't have a reverence of scripture. No. So uh, the last time I was in Tulsa, I was here about three or four weeks ago, hanging out with Jordan Peterson because he came here to, to do a speech and I was able to, to hang out with him a little bit after his show and those different things. And I hate showing up empty handed. So I, I got him a Bible. It's a verse verse by verse reference Bible. Okay. So he's talked about for years how the Bible is the most hyperlinked and he doesn't even call it a book. He says the Bible's not a book. It's a library, but he's like, it's the most hyperlinked document in history. This refers to that, which refers to these three things and all that. And so I was like, I'm going to get him a physical representation of that. So it's a verse by verse reference Bible. Every reference, uh, is there in the, the notes in the bottom of every page. I got his name put on it, like Jordan B. Peterson, and you got it, you know, bound and, and I gave it to him as a gift. But it was like, when I explained it to him, it's like, you have a tremendous reverence for the scripture. And we didn't get into, well, what do you think about Jesus? Like we, sure. didn't, we didn't get into that, but it's like, he has a hunger and reverence for the scripture that a lot of purported Christians don't have. 
And I think it would be fair to say that he is a non-Christian. I don't think he believes that it's Jesus's blood that can save him from eternal damnation. Mm -hmm. But he's got something that we can really learn from because fast forward a few weeks later, I'm uh, preaching at a, you know, max security prison up in Pennsylvania. And I'm preaching to men that have no hope. If you think about it in earthly Mm -hmm. terms, these are men that are never going to see the outside of these walls of this prison. These are rapists, gangbangers, murderers, pedophiles, like you know, the worst of the worst. There's a reason why we separate them off from society. But I, like I told those guys, it's like you can be under lock and key, but still be free. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of dudes walking around out here that are free to drive and go where they please, but they're they're chained up. Like y'all, y'all crossed the lines of mm-hmm. of man, but we've all crossed the lines of God, and in that way, we are brothers. Yes. And it's just like, but where do you even get an idea like that? We get it from reading the scripture rightly and soberly. And so I, I have a friend of mine who's been a Christian. Very, very smart guy in business, but he's only been a Christian for a few years. So he doesn't read the Bible and go, well, I wonder what this means. And well, I grew up charismatic or well, I grew up Southern Baptist or well, I grew up Church of Christ. So it kind of actually means this. He just reads it and goes, well, I guess that's what we're supposed to do. Right. Like when people become Christians in North Korea or Nigeria or Iraq or whatever, they're just reading and going like, well, I guess this is what we're supposed to do. Not a whole lot of nuance. Like it just kind of is what it is. But we as Westernized Americans that have been marinated in this Judeo-Christian culture for all this length of time, we think that we're smarter than what the book says. Mm. You know, I love what you said about having reverence for God and reverence for the scriptures. And I think that we both agree that you can't have, we believe biblically, that you cannot have reverence for God without reverence for the scriptures. Right. And I think that a lot of Christians think that today. And I think it's a plague in in the American church. It's really bad. Uh, I spoke with somebody just last week. We had a long conversation about this. And I'm just saying, I'm warning, I'm saying, look, have have you heard the term red-letter Christianity? Yep, I have. Okay. That's a newer terminology for me to learn within the last year. I'd never heard it said that way, but I understood what it meant because I've seen it. For people, anybody watching, what we're basically saying is it, it's this sort of what it's doing. It's putting a hierarchy on the on the scriptures. It's saying whatever Jesus said, which we might call the red letters, the words of Jesus are then basically that's what we care about. The rest of the Bible is sort of subordinate to right. those words. And rather than arguing about the Bible, arguing about morality, and is that really what the law of God says? We don't need to know about that. So just, just be like Jesus. It's in the red letters. He was nice to people. He loved people. He fed the poor. So basically what they're saying is, is Jesus was a socialist. Basically, right, yeah. Jesus was a nice socialist. They went around feeding everybody and never said anything mean because he's, he's not the lion of Judah. He's only the lamb, right? right. He's yes. Mr. Nice Pants. And so red letter Christianity does not have a reverence for scriptures. It has a reverence for their version of this nice Jesus. In my upcoming book, I call him wimpy Jesus. He's not true Jesus. He's wimpy Jesus. It's this other thing. And when we do that, we're basically changing who Jesus is and you're not having reverence for the word of God. So it's the, it's the separation of this idea of Christ from the word of God is not good. But the reason I think it's getting so popular now is because that is that is a way to still be a Christian and not be hated by the world. Yeah. Because the world, we're living in a time where it's popular to be a, I, I don't want to, I'm not trying to be pejorative, but to be a socialist, to be some version of socialist. Sure. Some kind of commie, one, one way or the other, to be a socialist, to be sort of a pacifist, mm-hmm. to be a social justice warrior, to want to sell all your things and give it all to the poor. 
Well, those are just the things that are popular in culture right now. And people go, well, that, Jesus was kind of like that too. So we think we found a workaround to making, uh, we found a workaround for making the world not hate us. We're just going to say everything you say and say, but that's what Jesus is like. And it's, it's not actually going to work. And what you're going to find is that, is that society is going to get worse and worse and worse because the Bible isn't just the red letters. All of Scripture is God-breathed. And Scripture gives us plans for how to build not just your life, not just your family, but how to build societies, yep, how to absolutely. build civilizations. And I think that Jordan Peterson you know, may, not, may not be saved, but I think that what he sees in the Bible, one of many things he sees in the Bible, seems to be this is kind of a manual on how we can build salvation, uh, build civilization. civilizations. civilizations. Yeah. I think he sees that. Which is ironic because a lot of Christians don't see it as that. When he comes from a secular perspective and point of view, and he's bringing that into his study yeah. of the scripture, which is crazy that he has that amount of reverence. But as I've said before, I think he is the most important non-Christian to Christendom alive today because of the people that are drawn to him, that he is pointing towards the Father, even though he's doing it absently. But going back to kind of the red-letter Christian thing, I love what Vody Bauckham said about that. He goes, guys, if you are a Trinitarian, if you believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit— then there are no red letters. They're all red. Or yeah, there's exactly. not some red, some black. They're all red. Yeah. Like they're all the words of God because you're talking about the triune God, God in three persons. And so that, that's another thing that comes from a, a lack of biblical knowledge, not deep theological, you know, knowledge and, and all yeah. those types of things, <clears throat> just basic Bible 101 that the reason why they started doing red letter Bibles is so as you were referencing the certain pages, it was easier to find when you were in the middle of a parable because a pastor may be like, all right, turn to this and that, you know, random you know, right. passage. And that passage is in the middle of a long thing <laughs> that Jesus is saying as being recorded in one of the gospels. And so they were making it easier for you to reference the same thing about the section heads and even verses and chapters. That's not how these things were written down. Like those things were added hundreds and hundreds of years later. And they did that so that it would be helpful to you. Right. <laughs> and now we're building our theology off of headings and red letters and red ink versus black ink. Yeah. And it's like, no, 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 no. We need to go back to what this is. That's why I love what mm -hmm. Jordan Peterson says. This is not a book. This is a library. Right. They bound it together for your convenience, right? Mm -hmm. They put it on one app on your phone for your convenience. But guess what? If you don't read it, if you just assume that you know what it says because you watch VeggieTales as a child, like then you're you're getting part of the story, but you're not getting all of it. Yeah. I think that how I feel about red letter Christianity, I think they should call it some of the red letter Christianity. <laughs> because the truth is, is they don't even like all the red letter. Not only do they no, not even love no, all no, the no. Bible. They don't even love all the red letters. Because well, the they'll way. say, you know, I look, <laughs> hey, I looked at the red letters and I never saw the word gay. I never saw the word homosexual. I never saw the word abortion. So G Jesus is okay with all of those things. It's like, well, do you know it was recorded that he used the word like porneia? Well, he didn't use it because he was speaking Aramaic, but it was written down as porneia. Well, guess what? In that time period, that meant any sex out of the covenantal relationship between one man and one woman before God for life. That's what it meant. Like, so that would have included homosexuality, you know, bestiality like polyamory would have included all those things but if you're a moron or if you're like you only look at the first level of any analysis you do univariate analysis you're going to conclude like oh jesus is totally fine with my lifestyle which isn't it so funny all agrees with the secular leftist agenda uh, it, 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 they they they're never going to come to a position that is at odds with the culture and that's no, how, that's that would be me that should be your first 
clue that this might not be that good. Now, one of the things I wrote in my first book that's just, I find ironic, is that when I was reading the Bible as a young person, like for myself, when I was old enough to read um, high school, was at 14, 15, 16, I'm reading the Bible for myself. I was kind of like, I don't think Jesus is actually near as nice as what everyone no. else is saying. <laughs> right. I actually don't think he's uber friendly. I mean, sometimes I'm like, he, he could have more patience. I found his parables to be sort of like, will you please tell me what you're trying to say? You're talking in riddles. Tell me what you're trying to say. Or, or somebody comes up and says, hey, um, you know, um, I want to follow you, but I got to I got to bury my father first. And Jesus is like, let the dead bury their own dead. Right. I mean, he said these things. I remember thinking, I know God is good and Jesus was nice, but he's a friend of sinners. But this Jesus that I'm reading about doesn't sound near as nice as what everybody else. So sometimes I think, what, what Jesus are these people reading? This is right. the Jesus that made the whip. No, you they're know? not reading. That's, it, that's the problem. Some of the red letters. Right. Christianity. Yeah, they're reading some Is that of them. all of them? Well, like, because when you read about, because if you actually <laughs> read the Bible, know a little thing about it, we think that Jesus cleared the temple once. No, he cleared it twice. When you look at the timelines of when those are described in the Gospels, one is roughly, uh, you know, a little bit after his first uh, miracle where he turned water into wine. And his last one was after he arrived back in Jerusalem before his crucifixion. And so he did that twice, premeditated, righteous, violent aggression. Right, clearing out the temple of not just the animals but all the people, an inherently violent act. But that's the thing, is you don't get wimpy hippie Jesus if you actually read the Bible and read the New Testament, yeah. read the gospel accounts, and you don't read it as if you're reading like Jesus is a spiritual robot. But if you think about that's why I think, you know, and a lot of people hate the chosen, but a thing like the chosen shows you that Jesus was a human with a personality surrounded by humans with personalities that they were probably joking around. The people around him probably said things that were rude. He had to correct some things. But then I've said a lot of incendiary things in my life, and I know you have too. We've never been marched to the edge of town to a cliff where somebody was going to throw us off because of words that mm -hmm. we said. But Jesus did that. He made people feel feelings like that, calling people broods of vipers and these horrifically th terrible things that don't sound very Christ-like. Mm -hmm. They sound really rude and really judgmental and really aggressive. And so to these go along to get along, I want to be known for what I'm for, not what I'm against Christians. I'm like, have you read the gospels lately? Because I think your brain tends to remember <laughs> the nice stuff and forget all the stuff that's a little bit hard to square with your ideology that Jesus was right. just this nice hippie guy. Mm, made me think of we, we should do a version of a Rod Stewart and have you read the gospels? <laughs> Lately, no. I, I don't think I want to do that version, but like I can do the tambourine in the background or something like that. I'll let you handle the vocals if that's all right with you. Oh, man. Well, people, people watching might not even know that song. I mean, you said kids are watching, and here you, you are like singing a song that you. was released 40 years ago. Uh, yeah, they don't or, know what's or going more. On. Who knows? Good gracious. All right, so as we're ending up, um, tell us what you're up to, man. What are you up to? So I've got some uh, awesome stuff potentially coming to the fore. Uh, you know, a lot of guys in my audience know this, but uh, I always feel a little bit weird asking for prayers. I don't know why, but I've got a, a vocal cord surgery coming up here in the next month or so. Mm -hmm. And so that doesn't put what we're doing on pause, but it's like, I've got a lot of opportunities to expand the offerings with our show and to expand into other speaking engagements and stuff like that. going to be hard to do if I can't talk. And so, uh, gonna, you know, that's happening beginning of April. So I would appreciate you guys' uh, prayers and things on that. But ultimately, John, like a daunted life, as I say all the time, we're here to equip men to push back darkness. I don't exactly know what that means in practice fully, right? Mm -hmm, sure. I, I can, I can see a little bit into the future and kind of what that looks like. You know, it looks like, you know, 
having, you know, me being on other shows talking about that philosophically, people coming to my show to kind of listen through and do those things. But there needs to be a revolution that happens in the church. And, you know, we're not going to open up this can of worms now, but you know, a lot of men's minute, a lot of churches try to focus on men's ministry if they do anything for men at all, but they're not focusing on making their churches man friendly. Right. So they're throwing events. They're, they're maybe doing some sort of promise keepers type thing, but they're not creating actual change with the men in their flock. And so a lot of what we're doing is like, yeah, I'll come and speak at your men's event and I'll come yell at your guys for you since you don't want to do it. And like, I'll do all that kind of stuff. But it's almost like shifting the focus to how can we make churches more man friendly in the sermon content and uh, the opportunities for engagement and uh, volunteerism in the music and all that. And so that's, that's kind of where, where we're moving towards, but yeah, I'll still be doing the podcast. I, you know, spoke at a prison here recently, like I mentioned. So being able to do some more stuff like that, but that's ultimately what we got going on. How about you? You're about to wrap up this tour and then what you, you going right into the next one? Yeah. So, so we're, uh, we got about another two weeks on this run. And after that we head to Europe. So we're getting, we're very, very busy right now. Um, and I think what's going on with me, what I sense going on, and, and of course, I don't know if this, is, if this is for sure true. It's what I sense. It seems to me that we're beginning to see a little bit of good news in the culture right now and a little bit of a shift towards people wanting to get along. And I think that's a really good thing, meaning that we don't have to um, – <laughs> they don't want to cancel people quite as much. They're a little bit like, okay, maybe maybe we were freaking out a little bit too much. Now, we obviously have a lot of, um, you know, a lot of the COVID stuff has come out. People are like, okay, maybe we were wrong about that. You know, there's a lot of things coming to light. Some people, the people that watch Cooper stuff and Undone Life aren't surprised, but a lot of other people are kind of surprised. Like, oh my gosh, the media's been lying to us. Right. Yeah, they're a bunch of commies. But <laughs> because they're, they're realizing that, people are getting a little softer. And what I'm excited about personally is that we do live in a pluralistic country. And I want, I don't mind when people disagree with me. I've sure. Almost everybody that works for me is not a Christian is on the left, is pro-choice, and it doesn't bother me. Like, we talk about these, they won't hate each other, and I like that. And and I think that's where I'm at is, where can we say real things that we believe, like we've said on the show today, things that we're really passionate about, because, it, because we believe it's a moral conviction from a static belief in the Word of God that never changes. Can we say that without our opponents, who are supposed to be the ones of tolerance, <laughs> wanting to fire us, get us kicked off of social media, kicked off of YouTube and defunded and make me lose my job. You know, can we go back to a time when we can say, hey, I know that you might disagree with this. We can have some big fights, but we can live, a, we can live life together. I think that there's a f- tiny bits of good in, in things happening, and that's what I'm passionate about. And so I'm glad to be back on the road because I'm touring with a bunch of people who don't believe the same things I believe, who are not Christians on this tour and other, and other tours we do. And I love it because you get to be normal people and have meals with people that that might be of a different religion, might not be religious at all, live life together. And a lot of times those conversations are great because people, they want to, I'm sure it's, it's, it's got to be the same for your life. It's got to be the same for people watching. When you are a family man and you are uh, faithful to your spouse, um, right? Mm-hmm. Women watch it over. You're faithful to your husbands and you raise up kids that can have 
conversations with adults. They don't even have to have amazing conversations. Right. Just something. Your friends will be like, what have you done? Yeah, this how, is weird. How, how is, is this possible? possible? Yeah. How is it possible that you've raised kids that can have conversations that seem to even love their parents? How can you say faithful to your husband? How can you say faithful to your wife? It's such a, because God's way works. That's and, a counterculture and we were talking about. That's, that's countercultural. countercultural. Yep. God's, God's way, way works. And, and that's why we say no to these other things. Um, so that's kind of what I'm kind of quite passionate about. And I feel that I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful. I don't, I don't want to say I think we're, we're headed there, but a few things have happened that made me think maybe just maybe we're headed to a place where we can still say things that might be incendiary. They might be volatile, but other people might be like, I hear you. Not trying to get you canceled because you said it. Right. Now let's have a conversation. So another thing is you keep talking about this supposed book that oh, you're writing. Lord. Can you I give know. us an idea of when we can actually read this thing? Because you keep teeing it up, but it's like, I don't, I don't want to think about it. I want to read it. I want it in my hands. I it's something I say that's never going to materialize. Yeah. Can we actually like, can you give me a date? Can you give me a time, yeah. a rough time period? We are hoping July is still what I'm hoping. Okay. July 4th. That's the day I want to release it. Okay, yeah. You know, and that seems I've like I've seen it. the cover. That would be a, that would be an appropriate time. It would be an appropriate yeah. um, time for it. And uh, it's just required. I, I got to be honest. I, I think that some of the changes we're making are really good. But I think that part of what's happening is that culture is changing so very quickly yeah. that I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is a little dated from a month ago, right. you know, because, because things are like boom, 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 boom changing. Yeah. And because I think we might be coming into a time when people are a little bit more open to debate and uh, maybe a little bit more open to incendiary conversations, but to debate it on a, on a, on a good faith basis, it sort of changed a little bit of the way I want to go about it. And so I'm going back and touching up, not just some of the information that three weeks ago right. is, is like, oh my gosh, now I got to change that, mm -hmm. you know, um, you know what? For instance, here's a good, here's a good example. One of the examples I use in the book is I'm talking about the certain kinds of privileges that we give. This is way off topic. No, I don't. I'll mention. We, we, we do not have time to get into this topic. Well, you can like give us the thirty thousand. Now you're gonna. You. All right, here Am we I go. I'm gonna get you in trouble. I mean, come on, we just need a little know, bit. Now we get talk. us excited about it. You remember this this school teacher in Canada? Yeah. The man that dresses like a woman and he wears the big, huge prosthetic, prosthetic breasts yeah. and whatever. And my point is, is that if that was a woman, it'd be disallowed. They're allowing it because it's a man. Right. And that is a different sort of form of, of child abuse. What you're saying is, is that the, it's not the principle, it's that, that, that kids shouldn't be seeing this. Now there's a new principle because he's a victim. He's right. a victim group. And the new principle is you must look at this and tell us it's okay. Yes. And, and he needs to express it in front of children. Even though he doesn't do that in his personal well, life. Well, that's, that's what changed. Right. So four weeks ago, so I wrote in my book, I'm like, I said in my book I had written, it, it makes you it makes you wonder if he didn't dress like this at home, would, would it be, be a, a different, different story? story? So, so because it makes it seem like this has to be another way to sort of be a pervert in front of children. And then guess what happens? Four weeks ago, we find out, nope, he doesn't dress like that at home. And I'm like, now I got to go back and yeah. change this. And, and it ends up taking a day of rewording things. So the book is going to come out in July. But I will say today we talked about some of the things that are in that book, it is a, it is a, a lot of philosophy, but a positive vision for why God's way works, why all these other ways are not going to work. 
we should be on the front line saying the Bible tells us how to build civilizations because the word of God is true um, yesterday, today, and forever. That's awesome. Well, you started this dual episode, so I guess like, I'll do the yeah, outro. So yeah. Just don't mess it up. Well, okay. Well, I always say like keep seeking the line of Judah, and I guess this is undaunted, that can, that can, we can undaunted Cooper life stuff. Can you do a live version of your Cooper stuff yell that you do? Because yeah. I can't do it. Maybe we'll let that be the outro. Okay. Do it. Don't mess it up, though. You do yours, and then I end it? I, I, well, I just say, you know, keep seeking the line of Judah. Mine's lame. Yours is Cooper stuff! Booyah! There you go, guys. I hope you enjoyed our split duo, undaunted Cooper life stuff episode. I hope that was worth your while. But before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost at Undaunted Life. Our mission is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. So I've got the links to the Michael Franzese stuff that I talked about at the beginning of the show. But then I've also got a link to John Cooper's website, a link to the Cooper Stuff podcast, and also a link to where you can buy his first book, Awake and Alive to Truth. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. Wherever you're listening to this, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive five-star review. If you want me to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. Follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook and check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. And as always, we want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their music for our content. The music on this podcast is our song Cutting the Tides, which is off their 10th anniversary re-recording of their album Leveler. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep pushing back darkness, keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical resilience, keep seeking the Lion of Judah.